This is the Bodar Blast by the USS Decatur, with your host, Lieutenant Junior Raid Daniel Earl. All views expressed on this show are not those of the United States Navy and made by the individuals who are on the show. All music used is used with the permission of the songwriter or is royalty-free. This is a feature production of the USS Decatur and is made free to use and free for all the families and supporters of the USS Decatur DDG-73. Holden Dare. And welcome to the Bodar Blast, the Navy's best podcast out at sea. I'm Lieutenant Junior Grade Danny Ehrlich, and I'm your host on the Bodar Blast. And thank you for joining us for another episode. I'm very excited to talk about some of the topics today. Welcome to the show. It's been a couple weeks. But we have a really awesome jam-packed show today, including a really great interview with HM2, uh, so uh, a hospitalman or corpsman second class, uh, uh, Stephen Grabbit, and it's going to be an awesome interview. But uh, to start out, we've been pretty busy. You've probably seen on our social media some of the photo, uh, photos posted uh, by the, the social media of us working uh, internationally. So we've been working with a couple of other navies internationally, uh, the Japan Maritime Self-Defense Force, or the JMSDF, and then the Republic of Korea Navy. We've worked with both of those navies uh, within the last few weeks. Um, Amazing uh, time doing exercises with them, working with them, uh, learning about their culture and uh, how they do things out here. has been really enlightening on our part. It's the first time for me, at least, that I've been able to work with other navies, uh, been able to work with other countries out here, and see how they work and how how their navies do things. So it's a pretty cool experience, uh, not only standing bridge watch, but standing watch down in combat information center or around the rest of the ship and interacting with those navies. Um, and we, we all want the same things out here. We want a free and open Indo-Pacific region, uh, and we want to work together with our allies and our partners. And we are proud to call Japan and the Republic of Korea and their, their navies uh, very proud allies of ours. So we're proud to, to work with them. Um, and then we had a little bit of an arrival recently, our... Uh, our Executive Officer Commander Matthew Furtado uh, departed the ship. He is off at school preparing to be our next commanding officer in a few months. Uh, So farewell to him. Uh, Best of luck at school, sir. We're very excited for you to come back uh, very soon and be our new commanding officer. Um, And it has been, uh, on a personal level, a pleasure to work with you as an executive officer uh, for everybody at home uh, that had interactions with Commander Furtado or uh, may not know much about our executive officer, um, Commander Furtado is truly the, the message and, and the, the, just the bearer of consistency. He is a genuine, consistent person. You know what you're going to get from Commander Furtado, and that's fairness in everything that's upholding standards and that's being a good leader. And uh, Commander Furtado displays excellent leadership. Uh, he's been an excellent leader, mentor, 
uh, teacher to me, to the rest of the junior officers, to the rest of the officers in the wardroom, the chief's mess, to the crew. Um, so from all of us, uh, sir, we are very happy to have had you at our, as our executive officer for the last year and a half, and uh, we'll see you back soon again. So, uh, But we do welcome our new executive officer, Commander uh, David Husher. Uh, so Commander Husher, welcome to the USS Decatur. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you on board, sir. And uh, I've already talked to you a little bit about the podcast, but hopefully uh, we get you on here at some point in the history. You're gonna find that this command is full of uh, a lot of amazing daring raiders that really care about the mission, really care about their shipmates, and really care about the Navy and defending our country and serving Americans back at home. And that's really what matters out here. So sir, again, welcome. And uh, for everybody at home, Commander Husher is our new uh, executive officer. So. Uh, Moving on, though, we've got a few uh, awards and people that were recognized recently. And uh, to start out, uh, congratulations to um, my really good friends, um, co-workers, and now new surface warfare officers, uh, Lieutenant Junior Grade Brandon Choi and Ensign Mitch Pan. Uh, both of them got their SWO pins. Um, like I said about um, Lieutenant J.G. Davies getting his, it's... It is a momentous occasion for every surface warfare officer, prospective surface warfare officer, to get their swoop pin. Uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hours. Um, it's a lot of studying, and it's a lot of it's a lot of time where people may not see you studying, but they definitely can tell when you are studying, when you are focusing. And it is the focus of our first tour as division officers is getting our pin. So reaching that pinnacle achievement, or at least the first pinnacle achievement of your surface warfare career is very important. Uh, so to both of them, hopefully I'll be joining you very soon, but uh, both of them put in tons of time, uh, really devoted people and amazing uh, officers of the deck. And so uh, congratulations to both of them. And then a uh, few personnel that got uh, meritorious uh, advancement. So we, we have, uh, program called MAP, which is Meritorious Advancement Program, and it's a program where uh, Commander Jimenez, as Commanding Officer, can exercise his ability as Commanding Officer to promote enlisted sailors before uh, they would normally get promoted or before they are able to get promoted uh, based off of um, long-standing, and it, it, it's a great program that allows Commander Jimenez to recognize sailors that are exceeding their expectations of their current rank or may not have picked up their rank but certainly have earned it at this point, um, maybe in a rate that may have very slow advancement just because of uh, advancement rates. And there are many rates like that. You'll hear from uh, HM2 Grabit that the HM rate is one of those rates where it takes a long time to make second class or first class in that rate because it is there's only a small amount of HMs um, and so there's only a certain amount that can get advanced every so often. So uh, congratulations goes out to uh, GSM-3 Arsenal, uh, CS-3 Petway, CS-3 Soto, and BM-3 Deep. So the four of them picked up uh, third class 
And then uh, congratulations goes out to HM2 Gravit, uh, EM2 Hightower, and finally congratulations to IT1 Hernandez. So all of our MAP uh, awardees, congratulations on making your new uh, rank. It's a, I mean, exceptional work um, to get recognized at a command level and then receive rank uh, is a special moment. And so uh, you might have seen our social media posts about it, but it is uh, an amazing moment for them. And uh, I'm happy to share that with pe uh, people and sailors that I've seen um, learn and grow and um, advance uh, in my two years on board and have definitely put in amazing work to earn those ranks. So uh, congratulations to all of them. And then uh, just kind of uh, wrapping this up before we get into our interview um, is I know some people have asked in Q&As a little bit about me, um, the person that I guess is behind uh, the social media, behind the camera, um, who I am a little bit. and. Um, I am a junior officer on uh, Decatur as well. Um, I am one of the anti-terrorism uh, team members as well as uh, the division officer for the uh, fire controlmen uh, who work on the close-in weapon system on OSS um, and a couple of other systems. And so uh, I lead sailors. I also uh, am concerned about programs, but I also have a collateral duties as an officer as well. So a lot of uh, senior enlisted and uh, officer, um, you know, senior leadership have uh, collateral duties. Since we're such a small ship, um, we don't have specialists on our ship that are able to uh, provide us legal, we don't have a JAG that can provide us legal duties. We don't have a, uh, a um, you know, as, as various representatives for various programs that can provide us uh, assistance. Um, you know, we don't have uh, specific people for public affairs or for, um, you know, weather or, or things like that. We, we, we are, the aircraft carrier does, they have a lot more personnel than we do, but for specific programs on this ship, um, a lot of senior leadership uh, take courses or take classes and then are trained and are certified to be able to hold collateral duties. So, for instance, I'm the collateral duty legal officer on board uh, along with Lieutenant Junior Grade Marana and Lieutenant Junior Grade Overhouse and uh, we make up the command legal team and so we're junior officers that are not uh, Judge Advocate General officers, so we're not JAGs, we're not lawyers, um, we haven't been to law school though uh, Lieutenant Junior Grade Overhouse does expire to be a, a JAG and uh, go to law school. But uh, we have gone to a course that teaches us how to deal with um, military law in its most basic aspects, be able to uh, care for our command on basic legal functions. Uh, we are certified notaries. We're able to notarize documents. So we provide the first couple of tiers of legal support on the ship for uh, for the command. Um, for instance, uh, MWR, our recreation, uh, morale, wellness, and recreation 
Uh, normally, if you if you were on an aircraft carrier, you would have a civilian representative from MWR. That would be their sole responsibility as they work for MWR. Well, we have a couple of personnel on our ship that are trained on how to work MWR, and they are the ones that handle MWR functions. So they are they are the specialists for that, even though they that that's not their primary line of work. And so uh, the other one I have is I'm the unit public affairs representative, which is the collateral duty public affairs officer for the ship. So I, I do all the public affairs stuff, but I'm assisted by the amazing MC2 David Negron, who is the actual person behind the camera a lot of the time for the photos you see, uh, for the videos you see, um, for a lot of the content that we send out. Um, he is, he is the person that is the true muse uh, for our public affairs program. So he does amazing work uh, for Decatur as a whole um, and as a specialist in his field. Um, he is truly a professional in what he does. So that, that's really how collateral duties work. And then um, I've been on board for two years. I'm from Northern Virginia, Springfield, Virginia specifically, a few, about 15 minutes outside of uh, Washington, D.C., uh, so I grew up a Washington, D.C. sports fan. Um, I'm very uh, into sports, um, so I, I love sports. Um, and one of my true passions after Navy service is to go into sports broadcasting. And so um, an avenue for that is learning how to podcast and um, getting the stories from our sailors out to you. And that's really what my goal with this podcast has been. And I hope that this podcast has achieved that because, uh, you know, I, it, it's an, a very important thing to me and holds a, uh, a close place in my heart. So uh, I'll, I'll tell you guys a little bit more about me every week, but uh, I, I know people have been asking questions about it. So without further ado, we'll have uh, HM2 Gravit take away our wonderful interview guests this week, and I'll see you on the other side. And I'm joined in the uh, USS Decatur wardroom by HM2, Hospitalman's second class, which used to be HM3, Corman, I'm being told off, off mic. You, you, you know, you have a mic uh, in front of you, you can speak. It's, uh, it's definitely Hospital Cor Corman. Hospital Corman, second yeah. class, <laughs> uh, Stephen Gravitt. Uh, so... Congratulations on getting mapped. Uh, so for everybody at home, mapping is uh, what's called Meritorious uh, Advancement Program. Uh, so it's basically a spot promotion um, or advancement uh, to the next pay grade uh, for enlisted sailors for just excellent performance. Um, they might not have gotten picked up in the last round of uh, advancement because of testing or you know percentages or stuff like that. But the HM uh, community is, is very tough to advance in, so um, well-deserved, and uh, congrats on that. How did it feel? Uh, honestly, sir, so for us, for the Corman, right, so I made, I came here as an E3, started off so in 2021, right? Yeah, 2021, January, came here as E3. Uh, I've been in the Navy about just shy of three years. Uh, then that coming September, the following September, was a uh, map to third class which is, you know, really good too. And then being mapped to second class uh, literally 20 days ago, roughly. 
So I'm hitting my rank marks a little before the margin. I believe the average E5 uh, within my rate is six to six and a half years. I hit that before I hit five. So to, that to be an accomplishment as well, and then also know like coming out of this command with the pin, it's, it's really big. It's really big for me. It means I have exceeded the expectations that my chief has put before me. You know, I'm extremely grateful to be in the position where I'm in. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's got to be tough to to be in a community where, you know, it's it's a really rewarding community and you guys do some excellent work, but it's got to be tough to see other people uh, promote or advance faster than you. Um, how do you kind of keep yourself in the game for that? You know, keep yourself um, in the right mindset? Oh, for like, to like, yeah. um, I mean, the biggest thing for me is like, I know my test is very diverse. There's a lot of factors that go into my tests where there are some rates where it's more like straightforward, like a straight shot. I have a lot more topics to cover so it's like hey i gotta do this 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 and this so like outside of you know like keeping my mind like studying trying to do better like i didn't cut too well in the last test i took or the test prior right I'm not a good test taker and i know this so a big thing i pride myself on is my work ethic and how hard I, or how much i care about what i do so if i know i'm not cutting good scores in my exam i know okay well if i work really hard and I just keep going I don't stop you know maybe there's some rewards out there I can get every, what I saw there so just constantly pushing forward pushing myself past my limits you know um, <clears throat> I think you've seen us when we're in port I stay up for like 24 hours some days on duty days just working because stuff has to get done if it has to get done it has to get done I'm not worried about sleep I can sleep on the weekend or I can sleep on my day off if I have to get something done and there's a deadline I make sure I hit that deadline so I would just say it's persistence and you know just knowing that stuff needs to get done and there's only two of us so if I don't do it is my counterpart going to do it and if I don't think so then stepping up and make sure that it gets done yeah so being a corpsman on a small ship what are what are some kind of your responsibilities as uh, and, and what what does your rate exactly do so the hospital corpsman rate uh, originally known as the Law Bali Boys like way back when uh, our job is to provide Healthcare, uh, mental and physical, to the command. So that's about 300 to 3 ratio, I guess you could say, right? Because there's my provider, which is my chief, uh, and then HM3 and myself. So we provide healthcare. So, like, we have sick all, which is more like acute 24 hours. Like, when you come in with a cold or you come in and you're like, oh, I like, I, I banged my knee yesterday. Like, can you just take a look at it type. So, very short, maybe like a 15 minute appointment, short note, like, Here's some stretches, let me wrap your knee, or here's some meds, right? And then we do appointments, which are more like chronic, so like stuff that's going on for a longer period of time, like maybe like four or five days, or three weeks, or like eight months, right? That long period. And as well, like a big part of what we do is, uh, for the operational sense, is uh, readiness, right? So like making sure sailors are mentally and physically ready to deploy. Because if they're not mentally and physically ready to deploy, they're not going to be a good fit, right? We've had sailors, we've had to be like, hey, well, this sailor's currently not fit or whatever in the past. So it's like PHAs, stuff like that, you know, make sure like, hey, they have all their immunizations, X, Y, Z. And then it's a lot of admin. So a lot of stuff that people don't see, right, is all the admin we do. So we do flight deck physicals, right? Make sure people can go on a flight deck. They can do flight course or whatever. Well, they have to be qualified to do that, which results in, like, we have to do vision tests you know doing like vision tests and whatever right so they can go on the flight deck well there's admin that's involved in that right there's a 
physical. We had to annotate like, hey, well, this is their colorblind score. Like, I can't. I'm colorblind, so I can't go on a flight deck. Right. So I fail the Ishirawa play test every time. But I make sure that hey, these people can see color. They can see depth perception, X, Y, Z, and then that's getting it signed by our provider and then putting in the record. And every single thing that people come to medical for has to get signed by our provider. If not our provider at a higher authority of an actual MD and then go into their records. So it's constant admin work that people don't see, right? But we're also involved in about every evolution from flight quarters to a RAS to see an anchor to OC spray for weapons. We're some way, shape, or form involved in almost every little aspect of what goes on from these major shipboard evolutions. Yeah, and to put that perspective for everybody at home, you know, you have a doctor um, that you go to on a, on a every six months basis, or if you're you know feeling sick, you'll go to the doctor's office. Well, at sea, we don't we don't have a doctor's office. We don't even have a doctor's office in port. Our doctor's office is the three of you guys. And so every record that you see the secretary at a doctor's office do back at home in the civilian world or everything, I, I see I see HM two just going, oh my goodness! But you, it's true. You yeah. do all of the admin. That nor you are a three-person doctor's office for yeah. over three hundred people, and it is extremely admirable. And when you think about that in like in in civilian world terms, it, it's it's even hard for me to kind of explain or process mm-hmm. to people sometimes of like, hey, you know, I get my medical care on the ship. If I need to go to the to the doctor, the doctor is back on the ship, you and they have to call you guys in from a college dropout, somebody who didn't go to college. Yeah, someone's been in the Navy for 24 years with a bachelor's degree. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, I, sometimes sometimes I don't like to think about that. But I, the, the other thing is, we, you know, so many people, including me, we have immense trust in you. Oh, so, yeah. And I think a big part of that comes just, like, with their tradition of the hospital board, like, almost five years ago, like, in school. It's really ingrained in us, like, this is, like, a sacred job, right? We take an oath, we have an oath, all this stuff, like, this is to be taken very seriously. And I have seen corpsmen like lose their caduce, which for those of you that don't know, like a caduce is the little insignia or like emblem, if you will, that's on the, uh, on like the dress blues, the dress whites, that's our rating badge. But I've seen people get their caduces cut off because they did not take it seriously. They did not uphold the highest standard of patient care. So, I mean, there's a lot that like is ingrained into us in school, right? And obviously our chief, always is going to keep us above standards no matter what <clears throat> but it's just like it's a lot so that's why we have so much like we get a lot of trust from the communities xyz we have we're very respected amongst the marines amongst blue side amongst shore because my ray has been doing this for a very very long time yeah and there's there's a lot of tradition and we'll we'll get to that in a moment but you're talking about you're, you're a college dropout, but you're you're a medical provider. So what are some of the... <laughs> I know, it's funny. I'm a paraprofessional, but, technically. Yes. But what, what, what's, some of the, what's some of the professional schooling that the, the, the military puts you through to be a, a hospital corn? So for hospital corn basic is 16 weeks. You can find that out by going into like my Navy HR if you want to like really get in depth into it. But it's a 16-week uh, school. It might, it might be a little bit longer now. I was 16 weeks five years ago you know, in Fort St. Houston, Texas, uh, which is essentially the big, the easiest way I can describe it was like kind of like advanced or accelerated an EMT program. So it was like 
Hey, we're doing cardio uh, Monday, Tuesday, Neuro, Wednesday, Thursday, and then we're testing out on both of those Friday. And that was like my week. And on top of that, you know, I'm getting, we're doing PT out in the Texas heat. I'm up near from Canada, so I'm dying every time we PT. But it's, it's a lot of PT because Corman hold physical standards really high, as a lot of us go with the Marines. So a lot of us have a Marine background. Um, and then it's, it's really accelerated learning. We're learning so much about the body, learning about the central nervous system, learning about musculoskeletal, learning about neuro, cardio, uh, GI, physical exams, secondary assessments, trauma medicine, and there's a whole shipboard medicine section. Like, uh, you've seen the class I teach on board, right? The tactical combat casualty care? Yep. So I teach that here, and it's, not, it's nothing like I wish I could make it because of what I had gone through five years ago. What I had gone through five years ago was like seven, eight days long, like eight hour days each, like uninterrupted, just like pouring out knowledge, a lot of practical, like getting on your hands, like doing it, putting a tourniquet on, stuffing these wounds, but I don't have all these training, I don't have everything to facilitate that training, just cause like our, our, we don't have a lot of space, I don't have this stuff ordered yet, I have stuff on order, it's not here. Um, but like that course that I teach here is just a sample what it could be it could be so much more and it could really enthrall and be more stressful um, for those of you that don't know that that course I'm talking about is tactical combat casualty care which is essentially the course developed by Katsi who founded TCCC so what they do is they made this method of, uh, of health or treatment right for Afghanistan and Iraq and whatnot and if you can uh, I think it was like 2006 or 2007, early 2000s. Uh, and because of that protocol, it's actually saved countless lives over there, uh, over here with just like paramedics, cops, uh, military that's not really deployed and poor, et cetera. It's, it's done a lot. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of schooling that goes into it and I, I see you guys when I come in there sometimes because I, I come in the medical to talk to you guys but um, you guys are constantly studying like all yeah. the time what all what's right. what's kind of the studying regimen like for this I mean it's you're literally becoming an IDC is literally eventually becoming like a, a full-skilled doctor and um, yeah. chief Ramos is basically a, a, a doctor I would say I would say the uh, the closest thing to what an IDC would be comparing to would probably be like a PA. The way I've always had it explained to me in like layman's terms is it's uh, an accelerated PA program, right? So the studying regimen for that is insane because you have to know shipboard, food and pest, uh, as well as TCCC, general medicine, like the whole nine yards. So like everything that I went through uh, five years ago is like really the basics and then going through what my chief has gone through is quite literally like, hey, this is provider level information. Like you will be signing off on exams. Like you are expected to have a potential differential diagnosis for this patient and report that to your physician supervisor. Who then you say yes or no, I agree, or hey, do this or do that. And that's the process in which that goes. So what you see H and three and I studying for a lot of the time is more or less the advancement test. Um, which is just anywhere from like forms to 
the anatomy to musculoskeletal to diseases to medications to medication dosages to medication families types of physicals types of forms um, different types of echelons of care who the surgeon general is the staff under the surgeon general and then like every NEC under the sun for us which is like 20 something so like I could get asked stuff about dental tech I'm not a dental tech I've never worked on dental the most I've ever done is cement someone's tooth back in a couple times here <clears throat> and then I could get asked something about like nuclear medicine technicians which you know were on carriers and they're out here just making sure people aren't having too much like nuclear exposure which I've never even seen never worked I've worked with one nuclear tech and I've never had to have that, had that explained to me so it's, it's so vast amount of information so that's why you see us when there's like a thousand different flashcards on the table yeah and uh, you talked about the tradition and, and the caduce what does that tradition and working with the Marine Corps and kind of working across both um, really mean to you like the corpsman tradition so I feel like the the main thing about the corpsman tradition uh, is like so we were like raw Bali but like I said we were raw Bali boys a long time ago and eventually like brought in a rate we weren't like one of the six original rates or anything like that you'll see people with a caduce tattoo on their hand like they are I don't know why um, <clears throat> but we get, we get brought in etc right and for the most part like with the marines so I've never been with the marines I've only been sure and then I've been here for three years um, but it's, it was like, it's like sacred right so you talk to a lot of marines about doc doc is like someone they will protect if you go to a bar and for whatever reason you decide to get in a fight with the person they call doc they will fight you they will protect that man majority of the time um, <clears throat> and how it's been explained to me and I, I do have marine friends and that's how it is when I've gone to the bar with them and it's for the sole thing like that is like you're saying like your healthcare provider that's their healthcare provider downrange that's the guy that they know that if they get shot he's going to drag them out of that situation he's going to make it better that's someone that they know will take bullets for them to make sure they're fine so there's a, a level of trust that goes with that that exceeds a lot obviously but like people don't understand unless they've heard about it right yeah and uh, the so serving with the Marine Corps for, for those of you at home um the Marine Corps doesn't have its own medical corps. In fact, the corpsman, the Navy corpsman rate, uh, actually serves the entire Marine Corps' medical side. So um, you could be going to commands out in Afghanistan, or forward deployed in Afghanistan, or, uh, out, sorry, Iraq um, nowadays. It's not in Afghanistan anymore, but forward deployed on the forward lines uh, for that. Um, or you know you could be at any one of any Marine Corps base what what uh, have you ever wanted to work with the Marines you know? so initially no I was not in the best shape when I first joined uh, now I work out probably way too much I would say uh, I want to actually so I want to go to IDC school uh, I'm talking to my chief about putting a package in I want to make sure I know everything I can before I just go in blind right that's a very hard school but if I go, I'm ideally trying to go Greenside out of Pendleton or out of, uh, I think it's Kanoi, or however you say it, um, in Hawaii. So one of the two is where I'm trying to go, yeah. ideally. 
yeah, I mean, I would love to work with the Marines. I just, I don't think I'm fit enough for that. So, um, you did say that you are, you work out and possibly too much. I don't think working out too much is a thing, but, you know, of the protein shake guzzlers on this ship, you're probably one of them. Um, four scoops a day. Yeah, four scoops a day. At, at so least on a cut. You are... <laughs> Honestly, one of the most dedicated uh, gym rats on the ship. What, what's your secret? Because you've gotten big over the last year. Uh, I remember first knowing, you know, meeting you in early in 2021 when I first came on board, and uh, you and I were pretty much both pretty scrawny. Um, I've stayed scrawny, and you've bulked up. So what, what's kind of been your secret? So for me, having a very high metabolism, I want to say when I got here, I was probably like pushing like maybe 150-ish, maybe pushing 150. I hate you. I, I, wish, I wish I had a, a good maybe, metabolism. Maybe a little bit more. So what I had done was I ate a lot of food. I would eat Chipotle 10 times a week. Uh, I would eat Subway every night before I went to bed unless I was on duty. If I was on duty, I would eat three meals a day, and then I would have someone bring me probably forty dollars worth of food, and then I would have protein, and then I would work out. So it was a lot of just overeating and gorging myself, which is technically an eating disorder if you think about it, the way you, that extreme eating. But uh, I, I, I did it to get fat. I had to get fat because I had to put on as much size as possible to kind of sculpt. So I got fat, but I didn't like gain fat weight you know what I'm saying I just I looked fatter my face had got a lot fatter I got like love handles that I'm still trying to lose right now uh, stuff like that so I ate a lot of high protein food but I ate a, just ate a lot so I was probably eating upwards of 4,400 calories a day for two years and then or probably like a year and a half right the year and a half mark kind of came in and I just kind of like started eating like high protein food I would still eat like a surplus I was still eating probably like almost 3,000 but I wasn't like actively counting them anymore but I was like I was eating a lot and then I was like okay well I'm, I'm not watching my calories in a sense I need to cut so I was yeah I was out every weekend drinking and eating the food from like the street vendors and like just didn't care so I did all that and then probably about like when we pulling like two three two months ago right after we left our first port uh, I was like, all right, well, it's time to start cutting. So I slowly, gradually start bringing my calories down, tracking it, watching it. And that's the result. You start seeing, like, more muscle, more muscle definition leaning out, etc. Just from lowering my calories, keeping my protein up, keeping my fiber up. Because um, now I eat 1,500 calories a day, if anything. Which, if you look at that, that's almost a, that's a 2,500, like, di calorie difference. The average human intake is a minimum of 2,000 calories, so we'll just put it at that. I'm eating below that most days. Yeah, and you know, nothing against ship's food, it's just, you know, there's there's only so much that can go around, so, you know, I, I, I've seen weight drop at C2, and I, it's nice. It definitely is yeah. nice, but uh, have you had people on the ship, like, work out with you, push you, like, who, who pushes you to... to continue to, to work hard um like on the boat yeah so if anything honestly I don't a lot of people that ask to work out with me like I guess like you could say they'd be in pretty Thomas because if I do work out with him 
like I, he'll make you be like, I know you got another rep, you got another rep. But it's a lot of it's because of how I normally train. Is I normally train till failure. And if you're ever up in the gym, you'd see me. I'm, I, I sound like a jerk. I'm up here yelling at people. I'm in, uh, I'm in Jermaine's face or whoever's. I'm like, I'm like, you can put that up again. In fact, you're gonna put that up again. Don't put the weight. No, put it back up. Because a lot of people are afraid to train till failure, right? A lot of people are afraid of failure. So if you get comfortable failing in the gym, and not only is it gonna like, you know, raise your confidence, like failure is a normal thing to do. It's a normal part of life that we're all afraid of, and that's an issue. But training till failure is gonna really push your body to the point where you're tearing those muscle fibers enough, right? A lot of people are like, oh, I'm just gonna do 12 reps. They just do 12 reps and they're not getting any progress because they're not putting any micro tears in their muscle fibers and not getting really, really stronger. I mean, maybe a little bit, but not as much as they could be. I just read, I read a whole bunch of books. That's how I, I ended up learning all this stuff. Like, like I have a book by Charlie Glass, and I read Arnold's book a couple years ago, and just putting in a lot of time and energy into research, and then putting it into practical use and learning, like, okay, like, this does not work for me. Because everything you do is different. Like, you and I might do pec flies, and if I do them one way, that might not work anatomically for you because the way your shoulders are. Like, for instance, my incline bench, I prefer to incline at 15. Everyone hates on me for it. They're like, oh, you gotta do it at 30. Well, the book I'm reading is saying 45, which is a shock to me. And do I feel it? 100%. I feel it a lot more. But the, the bearing like it does on my shoulders is so vastly different. And that's the biggest thing is the approach. You just learn to take different approaches, learn to take criticism, and I feel like that's what helps push you further because you don't know everything. You could be the biggest guy in the gym you don't know everything. Yeah, you gotta work towards failure and uh, gotta, be, gotta be a student of the game, as some say. You're definitely being a student of the game. So you talked about you and HM3 Jermaine. Um, you guys are, I mean, it's you, HMC Ramos, and then HM3 Jermaine. And you and HM3 are, are the duo. You guys work together, you guys are practically inseparable in there what what's your kind of what's your relationship with HM3 so uh he came here a couple months after I did like June June of 21 quiet guy he's a really nice man so um we started working together and then he applied for his BH he got a place then I applied for my BH and we applied for the end of like like hey let's like you me and my two other friends were like, let's just all get an apartment together. So it started off just like kind of like working together, like hanging out, going to clubs, going to the gym, stuff like that, like teach each other stuff in the gym. And then uh, we got, we all got a place together. It just kind of continued to the point where like, he's my brother, 100%. Now I'll do anything I need to for him. He's a great guy. He's taught me a lot because coming from a clinic where I didn't learn general medicine, I learned general medicine when I got here for the most part mainly worked in like neurology, cardiology, pulmonology, allergy, and dermatology. I only did a small stint into family medicine, so maybe like three months in general practice. So he came from a general practice, but he came from internal medicine. So he had already done a lot of the stuff that I had to learn while I was here. So anything I didn't know about physical exams or how to do this or how to do that, he was there to teach me. As well as he did, he used to rank me. He was an E4 and he got here and I was an E3. So he taught me a lot so as well as he's a brother he's also a mentor in various ways yeah and you guys I mean even though you are HM2 and he's HM3 now um, you know you guys still 
learn from each other and have an awesome friendship. 100%. 100%. Yeah, it's, it's, I really enjoy the brotherhood that develops in the, in the Navy and, you know, you just, you work with people so much that, you know, you just learn about them so much that you, I mean, you do really anything for them, so. I feel like that's a big, a big additive to that is the culture of being a small boy. Just go, coming from a command where, I don't know, they're like, shoot, like 3,000 corpsmen in my first command, you pick out like, yeah, you get like a little clicks, right? And some, like the Navy's kind of like a high school, that's right, you get into like your little clicks, and I think out of my click for my first command, like one person I actively talk to, out of like, there's like one or two, out of a group of like 20. So like you pick and choose, but I feel like on a small boy, it's more, it's a lot smaller clicks essentially, but they're closer, right? And then obviously on a deployment, you get a lot closer with people that you wouldn't even think of, right? Like I hang out with the first class that I never would have thought I would have hung out with in board, but because very similar mindset we're like oh, okay like hey yeah, we, you just want to go out and get food and sightseeing get a couple drinks so hey let's be liberty buddies I'm not trying to go wild in all these sports right so like you definitely find people in more of like a niche click on a small boy because of the size of the crew and it's like it's either adapt to the people around you and break out of your comfort zone maybe hang out with people that you normally wouldn't hang out with and then you see like friendships and bonds like flourish through that way or get left behind because you see a lot of people who just are very stuck in their ways and they end up hanging out with like one person yeah. you see those you see fallouts with that a lot too you see like I mean like what, what's wrong with your dog and they're like so and so did this not bad I'm like it's like your only friend like y'all fight too much right. you see a lot of people are too close minded they butt heads a lot and that's the issue as well but outside of it it's I would say it's very easy to get on a small boy, maybe like two or three people, two, three, two, three, four people, very close, and that kind of becomes like a very close uh, knit click. Yeah, and so talking about that, and you know, kind of your life in the Navy, what has? Why did you choose to join the Navy? So originally, I was I got out of college or got out of high school in 2017. I was 17 years old, and I went to like, I was like, okay, like, let me, let me go to community college, because I was already in college at 16, 17 years old, so I was like, let me just finish out community college, I was like, I have like a semester, and like, like, I did like a quarter of a, or a quarter of a year, right, like within two years while I'm in high school, so I had to go to high school, I had to go to college at the same time, so I was like, okay, well, like, it's only going to be like a year and some change for me versus two years to get my associates. And I was like, okay, then I'll transfer. Transfer. So I was going to be a criminal justice major, uh, but I found out I'm colorblind. And somehow that never got brought up during anything. Like, I wore glasses when I was younger, I guess. Never was addressed like, hey, like, you're colorblind. So whatever, like, I signed up to go like, on a tour with the Detroit Police Academy, all this other stuff. And then okay cool found out I was covered blind got told by my professor like yeah you can't be a cop even even though Detroit needs cops so badly they will not accept you that's what I got told I was like okay so started work I was working at the same time and I was like hanging out with a buddy and my other friend was like you know I, uh, I just got like whatever that he had ended up being like medically discharged from boot camp because he like broke his shoulder or something 
he was like, oh, I wish I could go back in. And I was like, you know what? I can't be a cop. So let me let me go see what's up with the Navy. And then I, well, I talked to the Air Force and all that prior. And then, uh, so I was like, all right, well, I want to be an MA. They're like, all right, cool. Like, you want to be an MA? We can make you an MA. Or so they said, right? So we got, I go through everything. MA was never offered me. So the first contract I ended up signing <coughs> was uh, YNS. And then out of all the schooling I would go, because the YNS is for a sub, I was going to be guaranteed second class. So I'd be a second class in two years in the Navy. So I'd be eligible for chief if I stuck with that contract. Um, or probably close to, right? Ended up switching. I was like, I want to do first response. That's all I want to do. I have, like, no idea what my passions are. I was like, I honestly, like, if I could choose, I don't want to work. So I was like, let me do first response. If I can't be a cop, like, what else is there? So I'm sitting there. He's like, all right, well, there's um, there's MA, which for whatever reason they're not offering. They never told me why, which is hilarious. Uh, so it was like, MA, can't do that. So there's corpsman and there's damage controlman. I was like, what, what are those? And they're like, a corpsman's like an EMT. And a damage controlman's like a firefighter. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> And it, we started talking more, and it was just sounded. And he's like, "Oh yeah, like he's like, you seen Hacksaw Ridge?" And I was like, "Yeah, I just, just saw that the other day because it just came out not too long ago." And I was like, "He's like, yeah, like you do that." And I was like, oh, "Okay, yeah, I'll do that then." Yeah, that's badass. <laughs> not, not really like a care. I'm like, what I was, I was like, just get me out of this small town. So I was like, whatever. And, and the the worst part about it is I was not a good student in A school. I got counseled like once. They're like, hey, look, if you fail one more test, like, you're gonna be undead. Like, you're not gonna have a rate. So, to see, like, hey, I almost fell out of my A school to. But not second <laughs> class, you know? Yeah, it, it, it shows how, like, how surreal. You know, I was just turned 18 or 19 or whatever, like, back then, so I was young. Didn't, didn't care, and I was like. Also, it's like, oh, if I fail out, maybe I can go MA. Maybe they'll just give me MA. It's not how the baby works, but that's what I thought. Yeah. And you, you talked about being from Detroit. What is it like being from, you know, Detroit, a small town just outside of it, and so, going to yeah. San Diego and then into the Navy and living on ships in really close proximity? So I grew up in a town called Port Huron, Michigan, which is about, I don't know, shoot, maybe like an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes, something like that. Uh, northeast of Detroit over by Sarnia, Ontario. I can see Canada from my house. I walk down the block and there's a beach and there's Canada. So, coming from a really small town and then going, like, not really ever leaving. So that was crazy. Oh, I was like, oh, I'm just going to Illinois. Like, that's nothing. I mean, that was a culture shock a little bit just because of the atmosphere. But then going to Texas, like, the heat, terrible. Absolutely terrible. Like, now I can't go back to the cold cold all the time which is insane and then to Pensacola Florida where I was first station where it was humid the entire time to San Diego so I've only been in like warm areas so a few times I have gone back I've been like in the winter which is crazy I don't know why but it's freezing like I'm in the airport shaking and I was just like this is insane
So what are some things that you do to, to pass the time on the ship? I know that you wanted like to go to the Mario Kart tournament tonight. <laughs> Sorry for, for taking you away no, from Mario fine. Kart, but what, what are some like things that you what, what what do you do to just chill? Um, honestly, so like a big part of it, like to say like to decompress and get away from my job is I lift. So I'll if I if given the opportunity, I'll work out for four hours, four to five hours, and before I work out from what I go for. Uh, it's also because I train. I don't train by myself every time, but a lot of people like you are like, hey, you know, Doc, we working with you. I'm like, all right, like, don't waste my time. Don't sit on your phone for 20 minutes during mid-set or whatever. But uh, I work out, so that would be, like, pretty much all evening from, like, anywhere from, like, 9 to 12. And then just, like, 9 to midnight. And then, like, whatever downtime I have, I'll be... Probably we have, a, we have a PlayStation 5 in medical and we have my laptop which has some games I got movies on there um, as of late me and uh, me and Jermaine are just kind of playing the PlayStation 5 a little bit but I really just work out and sleep which is not the healthiest way to decompress but it's your, it's your head it's just, it works yeah. for me so, yeah it's your I don't, head I don't recommend just going to the gym yeah, you got sleeping to decompress. Yeah, you got well. You know, you just honestly on deployment. I've I've noticed you just gotta find your happy place yeah, sometimes. It's just super. something that just helps you escape work. Oh. That's a big thing. Yeah. A lot a lot of people come in. They're like just stressed. And I'm like, what do you do to decompress? And they're like, I watch a, a movie in my rack every night. I'm like, does that make you happy? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, you should find. <laughs> like, do you like to work out? Do you like? Do you like to journal? Do you like to read? I was like, switch things up, man. Like, do something different. Don't get stuck in that same rut. That's yeah. a big thing we see. So, uh, to wrap up here, you are, like like we said earlier, the ship's medical provider. You've seen a lot of stuff as a medical provider. A lot of things. And... Uh, has there ever been a time where you you just you have to turn around and you just have to be like nope nope I'm not doing that I'm out sorry have have you ever had a moment where you failed <laughs> I think the only time ever uh, it's not necessarily because like, like I build it's just because you know for comfort of the patient so like obviously like working in family medicine there's like we do pap smears right so pap smears are like a very typical thing and then, like at 20 21 years old I don't think any any guy wants to be like yeah I want to do a pap smear. Cause I definitely don't. I still don't. Take the go to the pink clinic. If I don't have to do them on board or whatever, like if I don't have to be involved with it, the more the better. But majority of the time, that's not even something like that. I've turned away from. It's like, hey, like the patient does not want males in there, and that's one hundred percent justifiable. Uh, the closest thing I would probably be, like, the closest thing I was probably like, yeah, I'm not doing that, was when I did a lumbar puncture. Because I was like. I looked at my I, go, I looked at the neurologist I was working with. He's like, he's like, I need you to hold him here. And he's like, you know what? Take the needle and move it up a little bit in his spine. And I was like, what? This needle is huge. It's like a foot long. It's super thick. They're very, it's a very small gauge. He's like, yeah, just like move it in his spine. Because we were doing a spinal tap, so we were, dra- we were draining spinal fluid. I'm like 19, so I'm like, 
only been to this clinic maybe for like eight months working in neurology and I'm like what am I doing so if, if anything that would be the closest thing but I couldn't like just walk out of the procedure and you were 19 it's like 19 yeah I was like yeah, 19, 19 or just turned 20 or something like that I was young and it was his final tap yeah oh my god that's we're, just we're the old man and then I'm not the fittest man either so you obviously have to like put them in a fetal position and I don't like push and hold his legs up in the beginning of the procedure while my HM2 and my neurologist were doing everything and then I was like look my arm hurts I'm like I was really small back then. Small though, I was like out here. I'm like holding this guy up. He's probably like 100 pounds heavier than me. Like putting all my weight to hold his legs up. And they're like, all right, we'll switch. And they're like, all right, like move the needle. I was like, what? The needle, <laughs> the needle that's in his spine. They're like, yeah, and then just twist the tap. And sure enough, spinal fluid came out. That's oh god. I can't. I can't even. I can't even imagine. You know how much I hate needles. You know how much I hate. Getting my blood taken because you've taken my blood before, um, so oh god, I, oh, I can't even think of that. That's yeah, that's definitely a moment where I just turn around and I walk. So uh, you you guys do amazing work. You do work that really I don't I don't think I could do. I don't think many others could do. Um, you're you're an amazing person and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for coming on the pod and discussing. Um, including the workout regimen. I need to get into that. And uh, for everybody at home, get into that too. And uh, HM2 Grab It, Thank you again to HM2 Grab It for coming on the show and uh, talking about his life, his career uh, so far in the Navy. Um, Very enlightening to learn more about you from across the microphone. Uh, I know you pretty well so far, but I learned even more about you, um, including uh, some things in your career that I definitely could not do. Oh, gross. Sometimes. Uh, but that, that'll that wrap up our show. I have one more thing. Just if you have any questions you would like answered in the future about the ship, uh, some traditions that we do, we always have uh, our email open to reach out. So if you want to reach out to Miss Collie Sleesman or Slip uh, Ombudsman or directly to me at PAO at ddg73.navy.mil uh, please do uh, more than happy to answer your questions about USS Decatur and what we do on here it is a pleasure to talk to you once again uh, and I hope to talk to you guys again with it very soon and uh, tell you more about our fun times at sea so uh, from USS Decatur uh, this has been the Bodar Blast. I'm Lieutenant Junior Grade Danny Erlickson.